So last month we spent a large part of the time looking at some of how Peter describes the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. We looked at lots of different themes and metaphors that Peter was using and I don't know about yourselves but I very much felt that one of the things that God was stressing in the midst of that is that we are a holy people, a people who are distinct, set apart for God. For his purposes and to live for him and that means being a discerning people who learn and seek out the ways of God in the midst of the complexities of living in our culture and in our lives and and what the circumstances we each find ourselves in. I very much this month want us to continue looking at who we are as a people but to let some of what Psalm 139 tells us begin to feed into that about what it means to be a people who are known by God to be a people who are loved by God these first six verses speak so much about God's desire to know us And the very active ways in which he is actually doing that. And it's quite profound when you think about some of the statements that are being made here. And I want us to have a a, a really good look for some of what is being said in these verses. I want us to explore some of the key statements that are made in those first six verses. But what really struck me was, we live in an age now where... Privacy is a massive, massive thing. What happens with information we share is so vitally important. We have, to some degree, created uh, organizations now which know so much about us. Things actually that would amaze us that they know about us. So organizations, for instance, such as Facebook or, or Google, they, they, they know every web page that we visit, every search term that we put into a search engine. They know that we are here right now because they, are, they, they track where we go. They know where you were the whole of the week. And because they know that these things, there, there is of course that huge question mark as to what will they do with that data? And could them knowing that in some way harm me as a person? Valid, very important questions because the, the, the truth is that we, we fear certain things about who we are being publicly broadcast to the world around us. None of us is perfect. We're all wrestling with different things. Things that we share with only a select few people. Sometimes we think that actually God isn't aware of those things. Sometimes we think wrongly that because God knows everything about us that that could somehow cause us harm. What we begin to learn in these verses is this mercy of God that we have sung so frequently about this morning is abundantly evident here. And how he interacts with David as David ponders these amazing truths about God and his nature and his dealings with us as human beings. So let's have a look at some of what David says. He speaks about that that we are searched for and that we are known. You have searched me, and you have known me. Now, search is not a 
passive words. You can't accidentally search for something. You can accidentally find something. But you can't accidentally search for something. Let me explain this, okay? Probably even this morning there will be somebody in this very room that couldn't find their car keys. And you searched for them and you looked for them. And maybe you found them, well, I assume you found them because you're here. (laughs) But searching is active, it's intentional, and sometimes, as you know, when you stop searching for your car keys, that's when you find them. Um, But you don't search for something by accident. David here isn't saying that God simply knows about us because he is omnipotent and knows everything. This isn't a passive knowledge, this is an active thing. God seeks out knowing us. He, intent, he does it with intent. He searches us. He knows us. He goes right through us and knows absolutely every single thing about us. Not the things that we even deny about ourselves or the things that we box into that area where we don't know about it and others don't know about it. If you've ever looked at Jahari's window, that's, that's, that's the big box. That's the one that you want to make smaller. God knows every single thing in that box. And he knows what's going to get added to it later on as well. He has searched us and he, and he, he knows us. He knows us completely. This paints a picture of a God who is interested in our lives. Of a God that knows us completely and yet so often we can in, be in that place where we try and hide things from him. He already knows absolutely everything about us. He knows when we sit and when we stand. Think about that for just a little second here, okay? This isn't talking about some person whose TV's broken and whose Wi-Fi's down and that can't find a good book, so happens to be watching somebody to find something to do. This is God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one that calls the stars out by name, who holds everything together, has such an interest in us as human beings that he even takes note of when we sit down and when we stand up. Isn't that profound? When we sit down and when we stand up, I don't know about yourselves, but even for Karen, sorry Karen, but I I don't take note of when she sits down and stands up. I might take note of I think she's going through to put the kettle on or something like that. But God's, his intent and his desire towards us is so profound. We so often think that God doesn't get the small stuff in our lives. That he's not bothered, that he's only interested in the big stuff, the major stuff. But here we're told, actually, he knows when we sit down and when we stand up. Being the creator and sustainer of all things, the one that holds everything together, doesn't stop God being interested in even those minor details of our lives. He tells us that God discerns our thoughts from afar. There's an element there of the the transcendence of God, the otherness of God, that God, he is not physically here on earth. Not in the same sense that we are, but yet this transcendence of God, the otherness of God, doesn't actually create a form of distance from us in the sense that he knows us so intimately. He knows our thoughts. He discerns them. He learns them. He knows what's going on in our minds. The things that we think that nobody else gets to hear. He knows them. The good, the bad, and well, yeah, the ugly at times as well. 
He knows it all so intimately. He searches out our paths and our lying down. He knows where we're going. He knows what we're going to do. Isn't that amazing? God knows where we're going. This searches out. He goes with us. And what a comfort that is. This God, the one that did create and sustains all things, is intimately interested in where we're going, what we're doing, and what's happening in those places. This sovereign God cares so deeply for each of us that he searches out our paths. Even before a word is on our tongue, God knows it all together. Perhaps this is the one we think, oh dear, at the most. Even before a word is on our tongue, God knows it all together. God doesn't simply know who we are or what what we will do or where we are going. He knows it even before it happens. Even before we've said the words, God knows we're going to do that. It's quite an amazing thing to think of because sometimes our words surprise us. Sometimes they might shock us. But none of it surprises God. He knows our successes. He knows our failures. He knows it all. And he's never surprised by any of it. And where does he bring this to, this omnipotence, this intimacy of God? He brings it to a place where he speaks of a God who hems us in. Now, this idea of hemonism, it's a military term. It's talking about protection, being surrounded by a force. So God, knowing absolutely everything about us, knowing absolutely everything about David, who was not the perfect saint, his response is to hem us, to protect us. Now, what kind of things do we protect? We protect the things that we value, that are precious to us. Nobody sticks something they detest in a safe. You don't seek to protect it. For instance, a good example would be if you happen to get one of those terrible jumpers from an in-law or somebody for Christmas. That doesn't get stored safely in the back of the cupboard now, does it? No. You might think... I am going to have to wear this in the family dynamic or I'm going to use this in a situation where an unfortunate accident is going to occur and this thing which has value because it was a gift but has horror because of the appearance of it will then justifiably disappear into the annals of history and a story told when that person is not around. But the things that are precious to us are the things that we protect. And let's make it a bit more applicable. The people that are precious to us are the people we protect. Our children, our spouses, our families, our friends. We might not be able to literally hem people in. Or at least I can. I would make a terrible front guard because I'd get knocked down pretty easily. But what it's telling us is that this God that knows absolutely everything about us still values us, still sees us as precious enough and loved enough that he will be our guard. He will be our guard. 
That's, that's such a profound and such an important thing for us to grasp hold of as we go through this sermon this morning. He's a God that lays his hand upon us. He is intimately present. He is a guide for us. It's, it, it, these verses, they can deconstruct so much of how we think God sees us, how we think we have to act before God. I read the verses from Ephesians at the start quite intentionally. Now, I would love this morning to be able to show you some impressive magic trick, okay? I did practice magic for a while, but it turned out I was terrible at it. But you know, you get these, these, these card tricks and they give you a card and then magically it appears on the deck or under the shoe or in the back pocket or behind the clock up the back or something like that. And it's all sleight of hand and it's trickery and it's illusion. Don't understand how, but it is. Okay? Our dynamic before God isn't one that's based on our ability to create illusion or trickery or anything like that. These attributes of God towards us aren't because we have somehow tricked Him. They show God's love is not based on our our perfection or our attributes or our skills. They're based on the fact that we are. And because we are, God shows this nature towards each and every one of us. And it's, it's no wonder then that the psalmists have pondered these things. And David is one who was acutely aware of some of the mistakes that he had made in his life. Comes to that place where he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. So high, I cannot attain it. Is this knowledge too wonderful? Is it too wonderful that we leave it in the periphery of our lives? That it doesn't become a core part of our walk before God and we stay in that place where somehow we think we've got to use trickery or act before Him. Where we don't actually allow ourselves to be vulnerable before God. Because David's response here could perhaps be ours as well. Seeing in these verses, we're known completely by him. The good and the bad. The stuff that we hope no one else will ever see or know about us. He knows it. He knows it all. And yet, he is a God that seeks to protect us. We are known and we are loved. But do we believe that? Do we believe that? I want to suggest that sometimes we still fall into what I'm calling the Genesis response. That sounds like it could be the cool title of a Big Bang Theory episode, but it's not, okay? The Genesis response is very much what we see in Adam and Eve. When everything falls apart, when sin enters, they hide. They hide from a God that's searching them out. They hide. They forget everything about who he is. And they hide from him. And sometimes I think we can be in a place where we think either God doesn't know some of the struggles and burdens that we are experiencing. And therefore we try and hide them from him. Or that he does. And we try and hide from him. One of the amazing things about this psalm is it tells us that God knows us completely and utterly and still bestows these attributes upon us. There is no need to hide from him. 
No need. We can go before our God and we can be authentic and we can share with him our struggles, our difficulties, our hopes, our dreams, our hearts. The whole part of who we are at that point. We don't need to hide it. Sometimes our walk with God isn't side by side, but it's more hide and seek. And when we do that, we don't just forget the care of God in verses such as these. We also forget the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished as well for each and every one of us. Two weeks ago on Sunday, we looked at the verses in Exodus where we see the covenant made between God and Israel. We, see, we, we looked at the fact that they were told not to touch the mountain. They were not to touch that mountain because when the unholy encountered the holy, there would be death. But then we fast forwarded that to the New Testament where in Hebrews 4 verse 16 it says that we can boldly, with confidence, go in to the throne room of God. The throne room of God. Forget a mountain where God happened to descend upon. We're told we can go into the throne room. And why? Is it because God is suddenly chilled about sin? It's not such a big deal these days. It's happened for thousands of years. Let's just not make such a big deal. God is unchanging. The reason why the writer of Hebrews says that amazing thing that we can go into that throne room is because of Jesus Christ. Because as those verses in Ephesians told us at the start of the service, God has done it. So that he could take us and put us where he wants us. In a place where he can shower his grace upon us. We don't need to hide from him. And we don't need to run from him. Because we are a people that have been made holy in Christ. We don't need to fear God's knowing. God is merciful. We don't need to fear our struggles and our trials because in Jesus Christ, ultimately we have victory with them. But I want to ask us this question, are we real with God? Does the reality of what David is saying infuse our prayer life with God? Our devotion time with God? Those moments when we have really messed up and we know we've done something stupid. How do we respond in those situations? What does God have? Does he have actors or children? Or to put it another way, does he have psalmists or politicians? God wants psalmists. He wants children. And we gain the understanding and the comfort to be those things as we recognize the truth in verses such as these. We can be real with God. Because the reality is he knows us completely. There's nothing we can say that will surprise him should be so freeing there is no other relationship we have where that is 100% true but our relationship with God, he knows everything about us so we can bring everything of us to him lay it before him and be authentically who we are at that moment in time with the God of these verses our protector, the one that values us and cares for us. We don't need to hide. We don't need to act as if we're always sorted and perfect. 
I think this is one of the big challenges for all, all of us as individuals, especially as we share life together in a church. If we think that our relationship with God is one that requires hiding, it's one that requires acting, it falsifies things in our relationship with God. And it ultimately takes us to a place where we can actually start to think that vulnerability is unholy. Vulnerability isn't unholy. It's not. We can be ourselves before God. And if we can be ourselves before God, we begin to realise we can be ourselves before our brothers and sisters as well. We can be who we are. Be authentic. For God isn't looking for that perfection. And we need to understand that. God knew we couldn't attain that. He dealt with that in Jesus Christ. What he's looking for now is our hearts. Our openness. And as we grasp that, we can then share that with our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Vulnerability isn't unholy. In fact, I would suggest it could be the opposite. Could authenticity be holy? Let's look to Jesus for that. He was one in the garden of Gethsemane. I'll read these verses. This is Luke 22, verses 41 to 44. It says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel came from heaven and appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What we see there in that moment with Jesus is a moment of vulnerability. Where he is openly with the disciples nearby praying, crying out to God about where he is at, how he is feeling, and seeking for God to act in that situation. Ultimately surrendering to the will of God. But he didn't hide it. He didn't mask it. This is how he was feeling. And he he shared it. He showed it. He took it to God. And his brothers and sisters, the disciples, they saw it as well. Vulnerability isn't unholy. Jesus is perfectly holy. And yet we see it in his life in this moment as well. We can be ourselves before God. We can be free in that. And as we learn that amazing truth, we can be ourselves before each other as well because we recognize that we are all in that same place before God. We are all dependent on the same Christ as well. I wanted to stress that one of the things I wanted us to know this morning and to be reminded of this morning is that we are known and that we are loved. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God, the creator and sustainer of all things, this morning knows you completely and loves you. He knows you completely 
and he loves you. And for every person that we will see today, this is true. This is why Christ, God did these remarkable things in Christ, so that for a people, a humanity that he knows and loves, he could create that way for people to know and love him once more. So that we could be free from all that stuff which separates us from God. He wanted to make us holy, to make us his, so that we could spend our lives with God once more. But known and loved doesn't mean that we know and love God. We need to take these truths and we need to make them our reality. Let them dwell in our hearts and in our minds and inform how we see ourselves before God and how we see Him responding to us. This is what God is calling us into that relationship powerful and profound relationship and understanding of who he is and for each of us this morning he is saying know me abide in me because I know you and I love you God isn't one that hides he's not distant from us he knows us intimately it doesn't mean he's jolly and happy about everything that happens in our lives and everything that we do, but what it does mean is knowing these verses, we know we can be open before him and that we can share where we're at with him. Do we know God like this? Does God have with us a politician or a psalmist? Do we rest in his love for I strongly believe that knowing this, this love of God and knowing his encounter with Jesus Christ this is how Paul was able to get to a place where he was able to say and declare these words from Romans I want to read these who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we're being killed all the day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no and all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And maybe for some of us this morning, we need to remember that. We might feel that God has drifted away from us, or that we have drifted away from God, we have failed Him somehow, or we have let Him down. And we're doing that hiding thing. God's got a politician. He's got an actor. That psalm tells us we don't need that. These verses from Romans tell us that nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. No force can do that. We are known and we are loved. And it cannot be broken. So what I want to encourage each of us is to live in the reality of that. That we are known, 
that we are loved. The comfort of the fact that God knows us utterly and completely. That we can be who we are before him. Experience the freedom of that God wants Samus. And if you read the Psalms, some of the stuff that's written there is pretty shocking. Very shocking actually. Because that's how they felt at that moment. And they were sharing it to God. We can be authentic. And as we're authentic before God, we can find that freedom to be authentic with each other as well. To remember, to know, to keep hold of that truth that we've been exploring, that he has made us his in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in Christ. The Rend Collective have written a wonderful song about that that I'm not going to play just now because I didn't think of that. It just came to my head. But we are more than conquerors. We don't need to live as a people who are hiding. We don't need to live as a people who are defeated. We don't need to live as if we're a people barely holding on to a God that's trying to shake us loose. None of that's true. We are known. We are loved. We are made holy in Christ. And we can take to God, even this morning, everything that's in us and ask for him to be at work within us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's our protector. He knows us completely. And what a comfort that is that we can draw near to him. There's nothing that's in us or that we've done surprises him. But in Jesus, we can find freedom. We can find strength. We can find forgiveness where it's required. And we can stand in that place where, as Paul says, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. For we can't be pulled from his sight. Just as we get ready to share communion together, I want us to have a wee time of silence, a time where we can share with God this morning what's on our hearts. I've suggested this morning that we can take what is in us and share it with God and let him work. Let's do that. Let's do exactly that. Be real before God this morning. Take to him what's in there. And this place of worship where we know God is present in that unique and special way, let's give him space to act in our hearts and in our minds. So I'm going to give us a few minutes of silence and I'm going to lead us into a prayer together.